You're listening to The Witch Wife, a podcast about the poet Edna St. Vincent Millay, and I'm Samantha Mosca. This week, I'm picking up after a little bit of an absence. I didn't post an episode last week, and largely that's just due to uh, being busy with my new course and adjusting to life in a new country and, you know, dealing with a lot of personal issues. So hopefully that won't happen again, and I'll try to stay on top of it. I really love doing this podcast, and I think that it gives me a lot of fulfillment to work on it. So this week I'm going to be looking at a poem from the collection of Malaya's called Mind the Harvest. And Mind the Harvest was published in 1954 uh, posthumously by Norma Malay, um, Edna St. Vincent Malay's sister. And the poem I'm looking at is untitled. It's in part four. I think there's five or six parts in this collection. Um, And it's an interesting collection because Malay was very, very specific about her work. She wasn't just a perfectionist. She was protective. She didn't like if anybody attempted to change her work. That was, that was something that would enrage her. And I say enrage um, with a bit of like editorial flair because I'm sort of imposing that rage on her. But Um, I've seen in letters that she had to um, editors and publishers who were putting her work out there, if they had changed anything, uh, it was pretty upsetting to her. And she felt like those changes often happened because people didn't understand the work. And I have to say, I am very inclined to believe that that would have been a large problem. So what makes that interesting in regards to this collection is that Malay didn't really put this collection together. Norma did. Now, in the introduction to the collection, Norma says that this was something that Malay had been working on already, and that for the most part, these poems had been selected by her. But there were instances of Norma having to choose which version of a poem would be better published, um, and which poems to include, because she included kind of a lot from a, from a fairly large time span. Most of these poems in this collection were written after 1939, but some of them were from a prior period. Some of them had been published before. Some of them had been read to people before, but it's pretty interesting. I think this collection is really deserving of a closer look when we talk about analyzing and trying to place Malay in traditions and trying to put her work in certain boxes because I think this collection really has a lot of different poems that can be placed in different genres or eras. Like there's sonnets and we have some stuff that looks a little bit like free verse and there's a lot going on here. So the poem that I picked, I read the other day, uh, I was just sort of sitting around and I it was it struck me it didn't it doesn't sound like Malay to me it doesn't have her voice I mean it has her word choice it has 
something about her, like I recognize it, but it doesn't ring of that very traditional Malay or your typical Malay, which is why I wanted to read it today and why I wanted to look at it because I think that anything that sort of undermines or goes beyond what we think an author is capable of or a poet or sort of where we've placed them even in our own minds and hearts that is something that we can delve into and explore in a way that's different from looking at her other poetry so this one's untitled intense and terrible i think must be the loneliness of infants Look at all the teddy bears clasped in slumber in slatted cribs painted pale blue or pink. And all the Easter bunnies, dirty and disreputable, that deface the white pillow in the sterile, immaculate, sunny, turning pleasantly in space, dainty abode of baby. Try to replace them with new ones come Easter again, fluffy and white and with a different smell. Release with gentle force from the horrified embrace, that hugs until the stitches give and the stuffing shows. His only link with a life of his own, the only thing he really knows, try to sneak it out of sight. If you wish to hear anger yell glorious from air-filled lungs through a throat unthrottled by what the neighbors will say, if you wish to witness a human countenance contorted and convulsed and crumpled by helpless grief and despair, then stand beside the slatted crib and say, There, there and take the toy away. Pink and pale blue look well in a nursery. And for the most part, baby is really good. He gurgles, he whimpers, he tries to get his toe to his mouth, he slobbers his food dreamily, cereal and vegetable juices, onto his bib. He behaves as he should. But do not for a moment believe he has forgotten blackness, nor the deep, easy swell nor his thwarted design to remain forever there, nor the crimson betrayal of his birth into a yellow glare. The pictures painted on the inner eyelids of infants just before they sleep are not pastel. <laughs> Man, reading it out loud after I've read it quite a, quite a bit while I've been looking at it is kind of different. It really has this flow to it that I like, but it is a dark poem and it's interesting. And I um, want to know more about what it's about. I mean, initially we could look at this and we can say it's about, um, it's about babies and um, sort of the life that they're thrust into. And the first line being indicative of the rest of the poem, sort of what it, what it's going to explain um, the intense and terrible loneliness of infants that, People try to ease with teddy bears and Easter bunnies and all the child wants um, or remembers the, is the blackness before birth. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of uh, crazy. It's a crazy thing to talk about this perspective of an infant. And I think that I'd have to do a little more research, but I'd want to place the context of this historically and look at who was writing about that, who was saying anything from the consideration of an infant and why, why she might do this. I mean, Malay didn't have any children, so her experience with children was um, 
probably just going to be through friends or extended family and also of course growing up she helped raise her sisters but her two younger sisters were closer in her age so I think that the sort of infant aspect she probably didn't get a lot of that um she did have um experience with abortion I think she had she definitely had one but I think she had three total in her life uh she knew she didn't want children or that she couldn't really like um as dedicated as she was to poetry and her career and her life I don't think that it fit her view of the life that she was going to have or that she wanted to have or the kind of mother that she could have been she spent a large part of her early life as a mother to her sisters and she I don't think she particularly liked it um in some of her letters you can go and look at um see a bit how she feels about it she in some of her diaries um as a teenager before pretty much right before renaissance uh kicks off she talks about her exhaustion and how she feels like she's aging um so that just gives you a hint into sort of her own uh the biographical information about her own view on children Although, like I've said before, that doesn't necessarily inform this poem. Um, it's just a bit uh, more biographical information about Malay. Uh, and since I'm back home with my books and I'm able to engage more with the uh, biographies that I have on her, I'll be including a lot more information like that um, because I'm reading it more. I've read a lot and I just don't have the capacity in my memory to sort of call on that information at will all of the time especially with the last um sort of seven months of my life and when I've been working on this podcast I've been dealing with a lot of other things so uh just a note in the middle of this episode that there is some biographical information in the beginning episodes that I know for a fact is not correct um but I really and emphasize the casual nature of this podcast so I hope that you sort of take everything with a grain of salt and if I don't quote something directly feel free to look it up that's kind of what it's here for anyway what this podcast is for to me is to either help people become interested or point people on the right path to text that uh, will further their interest in Malay so back to the poem there is a lot of alliteration. So we've got um, the in the first stanza, which the first stanza is 18 lines, the second is five, and the third is six. So these aren't particularly strong in form. This poem to me is less about form and less about style, more about sound and diction. And um, you get that with the this the word choice here is really um, fascinating. So we have um, painted pale blue or pink alliteration, dirty, disreputable that deface the white pillow, the sterile, immaculate, sunny, turning pleasantly in space, dainty abode of baby. <laughs> and the rhymes of this poem are. Um, there are some rhymes at the end of lines, so you have the all the Easter bunnies dirty and disreputable that deface, and in the next line ends in space, uh, but the line that follows that, you have a rhyme internally, 
uh, dainty abode of baby try to replace them. And again, there are a bit of these end line rhymes, but there's a lot of internal rhyming. And so internal rhyming is that it's a line, it's a word in the middle of a line that rhymes with a word at the middle or end of another line. And there's uh, a couple of these. There's some repeated phrases. So the slatted crib in the beginning of the first stanza is repeated at the end of the first stanza. And the slatted crib, the teddy bears clasped in slumber in slatted cribs. All the S's there as well. Um, reminds me, or it sort of evokes prison imagery to me, slatted cribs creating shadows like bars. Um, I think this goes a pretty good way at sort of intimating what Malay is saying about life and about infancy, um, that it is, it's, isn't necessarily as sweet or white or sterile as we like to picture it to be. It's not these like fluffy Easter bunnies. It's sort of these teddy bears with ripping seams and stitches and uh, these <laughs> dirty and disreputable Easter bunnies. And so there's a couple other things that indicate this. Um, there's this line that says release with gentle force from the horrified embrace. So gentle and embrace are good words, but force and horrified create a juxtaposition here. And in some ways I feel a little bit lost in this poem. And especially in this part, I sort of lose what I think is going on and what exactly she's saying. So in the beginning, when I said that, you know, at, at, base value, this poem is about this, um, the loneliness in, in infants and the difference between being not born and being born and um, sort of drawing some dark lines there. But I think you could probably push this further and say that this poem is, is either about like life in general or existence or, I mean, I think it's something more basically than just, just infancy. And, um, the lines, um, I've never really seen her do this. She uses these adjectives, these commas, like she's listing things. So she says, the white pillow and the sterile, immaculate, sunny, turning pleasantly in space, dainty abode of baby. So I'm thinking that that, that she's talking about the womb and that the Easter bunnies, um, deface the beauty of the womb, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, certainly it's an interesting compilation of words and I'm, I'm really fascinated by her diction here because this is what I think doesn't ring of Malay, that doesn't sort of sound like typical Malay poetry. And I think it also sounds very, very contemporary. I think this whole poem is super contemporary, uh, which is surprising because her work is so seen as like sentimental and old fashioned, even when she was writing it. So I think that's potentially something to look into as well. Uh, her use of the Easter bunnies 
And Easter, of course, is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think that there's something in that as well that is worth looking into, um, particularly when she talks about the Easter bunnies being dirty and disreputable and defacing this womb. Um, oh, so you've got um, more alliteration, anger, yell glorious from air-filled lungs through a throat unthrottled and a human countenance contorted and convulsed and crumpled by helpless grief and despair. So all of the ands here, which is the anaphora, it's this repetition of a phrase um, where the, if you repeat the and, the word that's repeated over and over in the phrase sort of disappears. And it's an interesting technique, and I've talked about it before, but it sort of emphasizes the alliteration here countenance contorted convulsed and crumpled and none of these words which it, it seems as if she's describing what happens when you take the toy away from a baby i mean none of these words are pleasant though and and typically when we talk about infants or children even um even some of the more negative aspects they're usually talked about in a positive way which makes perfect sense but a lot of the word choice here is very, um, I guess you could say negative, you could say um, aggressive or ugly even. I mean, the words themselves aren't necessarily ugly, but the picture that she's painting isn't uh, particularly beautiful, which when you move on to the second stanza, it's just the five lines. She changes, she switches up, and she talks about how the baby is really good. So she doesn't say the baby. She calls the infant baby with a capital B. So pink and pale blue look well in a nursery. And for the most part, baby is really good. He gurgles, he whimpers, he tries to get his toe to his mouth, he slobbers his food. Dreamily, cereal and vegetable juices onto his bib. He behaves as he should. And there's some rhyme in this stanza, good food should. Good and food are visual rhymes, so they don't sound the same, but they look the same. But uh, should and food can work as well. Um, but you can tell the the switch in the tone is pink and pale blue look well. So we have a sort of um, key here that, that, or a note here that keys us in. This line lets us know that um, she's sort of backing off from that uh, crying baby look. And she gives us this baby who gurgles and whimpers and puts his feet in his mouth and slobbers his food dreamily. Dreamily being a word that stands out uh, because of the enjambment. So he slobbers his food dreamily, but he slobbers his food is the end of one line and dreamily is the beginning of another. Uh, and then the cereal and vegetable juices is taken out by two slashes it's not parentheses it's not a parenthetical phrase it's slashed into the middle of the sentence so when I read it it kind of feels uh choppy and it's difficult for me to connect he slobbers his food dreamily cereal and vegetable juices onto his bib I guess that was easier that time but reading through the several times that I have it cuts it apart and something that cuts each of these lines apart um, is that they are all capitalized. And in this, I've seen this kind of, um, 
I don't know if that's how maybe she wrote them initially and Norma published them that way or if maybe that was changed in publication. And now Mind the Harvest was still published by Harper and Harper did almost all of Malay's other books but none of the there's there's all the none of the lines are different they're all capitalized um there's a lot of punctuation and the punctuation is different there's a lot of um dashes there's ellipses in this poem which aren't particularly common in Malay's work there's a lot of um semicolons and periods and colons. This work is, these are definitely sentences. It's not devoid of punctuation, but each line is capitalized. So it's a little, it's a little strange. So the beha- the baby behaves as he should. And in the final stanza, we have another change in the tone. But do not for a moment believe he has forgotten blackness. So we get this first stanza in the first person um, and then it moves into the second person at the end. So intense and terrible, I think, must be the loneliness of infants. And then she's commanding, look at all the teddy bears clasped in slumber, right? So look at them. And then if you wish to hear an angry yell, glorious, etc. And then the second stanza doesn't really address either reader or author, so it's not the it's not the voice of the narrator, and it's not addressed to the reader. And in the third stanza, we go back to talking to the reader with a demand: Do not for a moment believe that he has forgotten blackness. And blackness is capitalized here as well, like a baby in the middle of the line. Nor the deep easy swell, nor his thwarted design to remain forever there nor the crimson betrayal of his birth into a yellow glare. The pictures painted on the inner eyelids of infants just before they sleep are not pastel. And that's some assonance for you, inner eyelids of infants. You get all those eye sounds, inner, lid, infant, eye, yeah. You get all the, the, the vowel sounds, which is what assonance is, is that repeated. And pictures painted, of course, is alliteration. So um, I think in particular the last line of this poem, uh, I think in particular that's the one that hits me the hardest. The pictures painted on the inner eyelids of infants just before they sleep are not pastel. It feels sinister because it leaves a lot open. She's not saying anything explicitly. She's just saying it is not what we sort of paint their nurseries to look like and the the line crimson betrayal is really beautiful um and i think you know shoot i think i was just reading a book on malay where they talk she sent a letter she sent a letter to somebody talking about the phrase crimson betrayal i think i'm gonna have to look that up where she was going back and forth that she really liked the phrase, but I'm not sure. I'll have to look that up. Anyway, um, so the crimson betrayal of his birth into a yellow glare and the yellow glare of electric light, uh, the sun, the world. Um, 
I don't know. So this, this, I don't have a whole lot left to say about the poem. I just think that it ends on this note that asks you to think about what life as an infant is like or um, what they see, what they experience, what they remember. And um, it certainly ends on the note, uh, this betrayal of his birth, that there is, that he's sort of angry, that the baby is almost vengeful. So I would be interested in taking a look at this academically. I think it's a super neat poem. And to me, it sounds like something that um, if written today, it could be, well, it could be written today. And if it, if it was, it's still just as relevant. It doesn't really place itself in time. It almost like abandons the conventions almost entirely of what she was writing in. So I have to wonder too about her style change, which it seems to a bit um, later in her life, which is perfectly understandable and normal styles evolve. But I was, I'd be interested in knowing if she really felt like how she felt about this work in particular because of her stalwart attitude as a poet and her dedication to keeping her work her own. I would be interested to know if she ever considered that this should be published or would be published. Um, but of course, there's no way to sate that interest. I just have to live with wondering that my whole life since she is dead. But uh, yeah, so um, I'll be looking at uh, probably some other poems from Mind the Harvest. I really enjoy them and I think that they're a deviation from our typical um, discussions about sonnets and really um, poems that are focused a lot more on form. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, continue to work on Mind the Harvest. We'll take a little break from sonnets and more uh, formulaic poetry and then I'll get back to them eventually. This has been The Witch Wife with your host, Samantha Mosca. Thanks so much for listening. And a special thanks to Unwoman for the use of the theme song, Witch Wife, off of her album, Blossoms, which you can find at unwoman.com. A huge thank you to Will Stenberg for the use of his song, Me and Edna St. Vincent Millay, off of the album, Eros and Error, which you can find at willstenberg.com. .bandcamp.com. And last, but certainly not least, a huge thank you to the Malay Society for preserving Malay's work and her legacy. Please support the Malay Society at malay.org. If you'd like more content on Malay, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Witch Wife Podcast. And if you've got any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at thewitchwife at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Walking around through the small country towns Feeling so happy and gay Taking advice offered at a good price Me and Edna St. Vincent Birds of a feather flocking freely together Laughing at what comes our way Loving the 
Nomenclature Me and Edna St. Vincent 